Amen. Our scripture lesson today uh, comes from Matthew 6. It is the Lord's Prayer. You might know this by now. Here we go. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Forgiveness is what holds the whole world together. Forgiveness is what holds your family together. Forgiveness is what holds every friendship together. When forgiveness disappears, your friendship disappears. Your family disappears. And the world falls apart. There's nothing more important in all the world than forgiveness. And Jesus models this perfectly. Think about this. Murder rates are up more than 30% in the last three years. Across the United States, there were nine mass shootings last weekend. Which simply means that each occurrence there were more than four victims. Our country has an anger problem. That has grown into a violence problem. And it all starts with a heart issue called unforgiveness we often don't connect these things but what we are talking about today has the potential to actually change the world to absolutely change the world for good so when researchers looked at forgiveness and homicide rates over the last 400 years 400 years all the way back into europe what they found is that when empathy and forgiveness declines among the citizenry crime rises violence rises And the world falls apart. When we become socially isolated because we are unforgiving people and so we withdraw. You know what happens. When you separate yourself from family, violence rises. It all starts in our hearts. So again, think of it this way. There can be no friendship without forgiveness. Say that with me. There can be no friendship without forgiveness. It's just the way it is. There can be no friendship without forgiveness. All relationships only last as long as forgiveness is accessible and practiced. Maybe this is why Jesus was so direct about this and actually doubled down and came back around at the end of the prayer so we wouldn't miss it. It's the only line in, in the prayer that he does this with. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. My name is Mark Foster. I'm founding senior pastor here, and we are in our fourth week 
of the Lord's Prayer, where we're going to look today at forgive us as we forgive. The Bible's full of these things, and we read right past them. It's a, one of those if-then sentences. Forgive as we forgive. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. But to get here, we have to first remember who God is. And God is a loving Father. Our Father. Not just, not just yours and mine, but every person on the planet's Father. Our Father is the loving God of how many people? All people. Throughout all time. Not just in our lifetime, but for all time. Reverend Adam Hamilton, in his book that we use as a source for this um, series... He says this, he says, we live in a world that is focused on my, mine, and me, but Jesus teaches us to pray, what? Our, us, and we. It's a communal prayer. Our faith is something we do together. And so our Father, who art in heaven, well, what's heaven? Well, heaven is simply that place where what God wants done is done. Our Father in heaven, where where what you want done is done, on earth as it is in heaven. And, And the thing is, Uh, The next line is, hallowed be thy name. And we don't use that word much, but the truth of the matter is that our lives either hallow or desecrate God's name each and every day, each and every choice. We either lift up the name of God and of Jesus and things like forgiveness, or we push them down. So that was week one. Week two is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And simply a way of saying the same thing twice, because if heaven... The kingdom is where what God wants done is done. Then thy kingdom come is thy will be done. It's it's the same thing. And what you'll find in this prayer is basically we're praying this over and over and over again for what God wants to be done, to be done, not just in heaven, but in our lives. And we're asking, begging really, to give us the power to do that, to live it out. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, he says, Do what's best as above, so below. That's what thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means god you and you alone know what's best so you guide us we'll follow and we'll trust you with all the rest of it so thy will be done simply means whatever you want god we place our wills under your will you have a will you have a kingdom that's important but we can never let it float up above god's because only god truly has wisdom that surpasses our lifetime so then last week We came to our needs, and that is simply give us this day our daily bread. But again, it's not, Lord, give me my food and good luck to my neighbor. That's not the prayer. The prayer is give us our daily bread, and that means bread for everybody, which there is enough of. We simply have a heart problem and a distribution problem, right? There's no reason for people to starve in our world. It's just a choice that we make as a world, and we've got to get sober about that. What do we do about that? How do we help in ways that are actually helpful in our lifetime? So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are praying for those who struggle, and we are praying, use me, God. Use me and others so that all of us may eat today, tomorrow. And in the Bible, bread is a metaphor for Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. It's also for doing the will of God. Jesus says, I have food, and my food is to do the will of the Father. Oh, there you go. You're back to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's the same thing. And for the heavenly banquet, for, for God to come and end time and suffering as we know it, so that we all have enough food, every person on the planet. We sit down next to each other. But we only can sit down next to each other with people that we have forgiven. Do you sit down next to people that you don't, you don't like, that you haven't forgiven? No, you can't do that. Because there's break in your relationship. So this week, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses. It's really three different ways of saying roughly the same thing. As we, right, 
those are your key words there, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Those that owe us, we've set them free, and in the same way, we can ask God to set us free. So in the NRSV, it says it like this, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, there's lots of practical reasons why you're going to want to do this. It just makes good sense. There's been research after research after research, largely by physicians, and they will tell you this, that unforgiveness, a hard heart, you know what that does? It gives you heart disease, literally. The unforgiving person has higher rates of heart disease, high blood pressure, stress, and poor mental health. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's a brokenness in the relationship, and you know you're going to have to see that person? You know how that feels inside, how your chest gets tight? Because you know there's a brokenness, but you've got to be there, so you're there and they're there, and, but there's, there's not forgiveness yet. It's literally hard on your heart. And you might say, well, hold, hold on. I got lots of good reasons not to forgive. Well, maybe. Part of the problem is we don't really understand forgiveness. We confuse forgiveness with all sorts of other things. And you know why we do that? Because people who want to manipulate you will try to forgive you, will try to convince you that forgiveness is about something other than what it is. And maybe you've done that too. You'll say something, well, if you really forgave me, you would never bring that up again. You would forget it. That's not right. Well, if you really forgave me, then you would, you know, we would be reconciled. No, that's not right. So what is forgiveness and what is it not? For, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Will you say that with me? Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is simply restoration of friend relations. I I would guess that in this very room, there are people here that need to forgive people who have already passed. That there is hard-heartedness and brokenness in your relationship with a parent or a grandparent or a sibling or a child, a friend. And reconciliation is never going to happen. Until you pass. But forgiveness can happen. Forgiveness is still available to you, even if reconciliation is not. So we, we can't confuse those things. And some people even try to manipulate you and say, well, if you forgave me, you'd take me back. Uh-uh. No, your, your behavior is atrocious. And you are not safe. So you're going to be far from me. But I'm going to untie myself from you. I forgive you, but you're not coming in here to hurt me again. Reconciliation, forgiveness, two very different things. Connected but very different. It also gets confused with restitution, of course, which is compensation for injury or loss. I guarantee you this. If one of you borrows my car and you wreck it, I will forgive you and I will expect a check. (laughs) Right? I forgive you, but I also expect you to replace my car because you borrowed it, you wrecked it, you got to replace it. That's your responsibility. That is your restitution. Or mine, you see how this works. So you can forgive, but that doesn't let somebody off the hook for restitution. And so often we say, well, no, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't worry about that. Well, hold on. We all have responsibilities, multiple responsibilities, and often competing commitments. Right? I have responsibilities to my family, as you do, to your family. And just because I wrong you or you wrong me doesn't change the fact that we still have obligations to our families. And we need to make those right for one another. And forgiveness is not forgetting, of course. It's just not. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. 
Uh, this will be interesting to me. How many of you have actually ever been hit in the face? Wow, that's a lot of you. You guys are tough. You don't forget that, do you? If you've been punched in the face, you do not forget that. And when the person who punched you in the face comes close to you, you go, you know, you're looking for the exits, right? You, you want to know. You don't forget when somebody does physical violence to you. You don't forget that. It's not wise to forget that. But you can forgive them. You can release them from hatred and anger and bitterness and resentment. But you don't have to get punched again. Right? That's just silly. I mean, it doesn't make any sense why you would do that. And the Lord is not about getting you beat up. And by the way, that's not what turn the other cheek means. And don't let anybody tell you that it is. That's just not what that means. And forgiveness is not freedom from ongoing consequences. People, again... When, when I work with families where there's an abuser in the home, over and over again, people will try to use Christian forgiveness as a license for terrible behavior. It is simply not. And you have to know that. Forgiveness is not freedom from ongoing consequences, even if you forgive or are forgiven. So, you know, you may have messed up and you're forgiven, but you still got to deal with the consequences. The police officer that writes you a ticket, he might forgive your bad driving, but you better pay the ticket or it's not going to go well for you. There's still consequences to our behavior. And, of course, forgiveness is not excusing the action. It does, it's not what's okay. And that drives me crazy. A lot of times in our culture today, someone will injure another person. And ironically and diabolically, people, you know what they say, don't you? You've probably said it. Oh, it's okay. It's not okay. I mean, really, before you say it's okay again, I want you to think about that. Normally what we're saying, without saying it, we're saying the opposite, which is that really hurt and I'm going to let you off the hook about it or I'm not going to punish you for it. But that's not what we say, is it? We go, oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not the way God would have us live. But, but our, our culture is really messed up about this idea of the need for forgiveness and reconciliation. And of course, um, I hope this goes without saying here each and every time I ever get up to speak, but in case there's any misunderstanding... Let me give you the words from Adam Hamilton. Forgiveness is not returning to an abusive marriage. Will you say that with me? Forgiveness is not returning to an abusive marriage. It's just not. It is letting go of the bitterness, anger, and desire for retribution. Because if you don't, you'll lose your life anyway. You'll lose your life to, to anger and bitterness and resentment and, and always trying to track down that last piece of restitution that you know is owed to you but won't, you won't ever get. And I've watched people lose their lives in terrible marriages and outside of those marriages, after they're divorced, I've also seen people who have had a, a, a good marriage, and then a terrible marriage, and then a divorce, and then a lot of anger, and then somehow, some way, forgiveness shows up by the power of Christ. And these people are beautiful together. They raise their kids well together. They show up for their kids' graduations together. They go to family parties together. Their, their spouses get along and they actually raise the kids and show up in the grandkids, and they are a better, stronger, loving family. Amen? It's possible. It's possible. It is a hard road, but it is possible. So what is forgiveness in the Bible? Well, forgiveness in the Bible, two things I want you to know just right off the top, is that, first of all, we all sin and need forgiveness. Right? Say that with me. We all sin and need forgiveness. And the good news is that God is willing to forgive us. He is. But there's much more to you and to me than simply being forgiven. 
It's important, and the relationship depends on it, but there's more to you and me than that. There's an old gospel song that says it like this, referring to Jesus. He paid a debt he did not owe, which is why we have the cross. I owed a debt I could not pay. That's why the cross is so important. And this really is the pivot point that we have to get right if we're going to have a good life. Because you know why most people don't forgive? Pride. We think somehow, some way, that we've made ourselves and that people owe us. I'm going to forgive myself the things that I've done wrong because I know the consequences and the context, and I'm going to hold you accountable because I don't really know your context. We do this all the time. You may not know this, but maybe even on your way to church, you, you probably did this. You, you may have thought a bad thought about somebody driving in front of you. And not two miles later, you did the same move, and you would expect absolutely absolution for that exact move. Did you know, by the way, that this is interesting to me, more than half the people in the United States report that they are above average drivers? That's not possible. You got to do the math, right? So Jesus connects God's forgiveness with our forgiveness of others. But I would submit to you that I think you can really only forgive others if you first understand how much you've been forgiven. Because if you think you've earned your place, you forget. By the way, how many of you all chose your parents? How many of you chose which country you would be born into? Those two things alone may make more of a difference in how your life goes than anything else. Right? I mean, we could have been born in Russia. I'm glad, I'm glad I wasn't. I could have been born in Ukraine. I could have been born in, in plenty of places that are war-torn and have very wicked governments that treat their people horribly as if they're dispendable. You and I have all sorts of things poured into our life simply by grace. And when we remember that, we then can become compassionate people because we have been forgiven much. We have been given much. And so then we can be generous with others. So look what Jesus says. He says, pray then in this way. This is from the message. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do, Jesus is saying. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Now, that's the important thing people have to understand. They say, well, hold on. God is better than that. Yes, God is always ready to forgive you. But you don't have the capacity to be forgiven if you cut yourself off from God. That's where people get all upset. Look, when Jesus died on the cross and was raised again, your forgiveness is available for every person on the planet. But not everybody's going to receive it. Because some people don't think they need to be forgiven. Eugene Boring says it this way. He's the New Testament professor down at TCU. He says, prayer for God's forgiveness is unthinkable for one who is intentionally an unforgiving person. You don't ask for forgiveness because you don't think you need it. Because you're not about to forgive anybody else. So why would God forgive me? It never is on your radar. And so then that unforgiveness continues in your life and the lives of those around you. A different way of saying it is simply this. We cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. It doesn't work. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says it another way. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. 
If you have anything against anyone, you have to forgive. So that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. When Jesus prayed, he would stretch out his arms and and look up to heaven and he would talk to God face to face. And Jesus says, when you're doing that, when you're talking to my Father, you have to forgive so that you can be right both with God and with each other. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, we are praying for help to forgive others. Yes, there's some huge things that are much bigger than your own capacity to forgive. Of course, there has been in my life. I can only imagine that's true for your life as well. There are things way too big that happen to little ones and to children and to young people that there's no way they have the capacity to forgive the horrible things that have happened to them through no fault of their own. And of course that's true. So we actually ask God help. You come and help me forgive those who have hurt me because I can't do it on my own. Help me forgive. That's what we're praying. We're praying for help to forgive others for though it is up to us to forgive, it is. We do it. We know we cannot do it without help. We cannot do it without the power of God. And Paul goes on with his teaching, and he teaches this Christian character and Christian conduct to the church. Because Christ forgave, we too forgive. That's what Paul teaches uh, in places like Ephesus. He says, let no evil talk come out of your mouth. Well, where does that evil talk come from? Unforgiveness. But only what is useful for building up is theirs need, so that your words may be grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked, right? You were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness, again, a symptom of unforgiveness, and wrath, and anger, and wrangling, and slander, together with all malice. All of those are symptoms of unforgiveness. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. There it is again. God has forgiven you, so therefore you can forgive others. And in case we missed it, we had... A beautiful Sunday last Sunday with all these young people up here giving their lives to Jesus as their Lord, the one who they follow, and their Savior, the one they trust to make them whole. And when you accept Jesus as Lord, right, we, don't, we don't use that language a lot around here, Lord, unless you watch Downton Abbey. So that's what a Lord is, is the one in charge, right? So when you accept Jesus as Lord, it's your behavior that must change to be like your Lord's. That's the expectation, that we are to become like Jesus, the Christ. And when, and when Paul would talk to the Colossians, he would say it like this. As God's chosen ones, forgiven, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, read this last part with me. Forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's all connected. You have to forgive because Christ has forgiven you, so therefore you continue that on for the very transformation of the world. So Jesus answers Peter's question uh, and, and when he was teaching about the limits of forgiveness with a story. Now, Peter is like, like we are. Peter is like the quintessential person that always messes up. That's, uh, some people would say that's why they call them the disciples because they, they don't get it on first reference, right? <laughs> I know that's a bad preacher joke. I'm sorry. But anyway... It's a heavy sermon. So Peter comes to Jesus, right? And he says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? It's like when your kids come and, and their sister or brother's on their last nerve, like, Mom, he did it again. Like, really, do I have to again? And Jesus says this. As many as seven times, Peter asks. And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Other translations say 70 times seven, which when I was in junior high, I thought I, I was keeping a list. You're at 489, baby, right? No, 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 that's not what that means. 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. As Jesus is telling this story, as Jesus would do. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents. And a talent is a year's wage, friends. Think about what you make in a year times 10,000. That is what this guy owed. And he couldn't pay it, of course. Nobody can pay that, which is Jesus' point. His Lord ordered him to be sold because that's what happened if you couldn't pay your debts. You would either become a slave or you'd be thrown into prison. And somebody else would have to get you out. Together with his wife and his children. Because when, you, when this happens, you never sit in a vacuum, right? So him, his wife, his children, they're all going to become slaves. So the slave fell on his knees, of course, before the Lord. And he said, have patience with me. And he's just broken. Have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him. That's a big number, friends. He released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, the same guy, as he went out, he came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. What's a denarii worth? A day's wage. Not a year's wage. A day's wage. And it's not 10,000. It's a hundred. Tiny bit compared. And this slave, what does he do? He seizes the guy below him that owes him money by the throat. And he says, pay what you owe. And then all the other slaves seeing this, I mean, they can't believe it. The, this fellow slave, he falls down, he pleads with him, and he says the same words that he had just said, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went away and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt, which is exactly what should have happened to him. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, because they were watching all along, they were greatly distressed because they knew that wasn't right. And they went and reported to their Lord. This is where if you're watching TV, it goes dun-dun-dun. Right? All that had taken place. So, the meeting's about to happen. We would call it a come-to-Jesus meeting. And this is what Jesus says. This is his story. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt, 10,000 talents, because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And then Jesus says this, So my heavenly Father will also do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that's a story. We don't preach it much. Nobody likes this story. But I do want to point this out. When, when Jesus talks about torture in this story, he's not talking about eternal damnation and fire and God being mean to you. No. Torture was simply a device, right? A way, like, like you see in the, like the cartoons where you pick up a guy and you shake him to see if they got any money or anything in them. That, that's, that's what the torture was for, was to see if the person who owed you money really had the money or they were just lying to you trying to steal from you. Right? So that's what that torture is. Let's, let's make sure we understand that. It's a way to discover whether the debtor was concealing any money or valuables. That's all it was. It wasn't continual. And again, a talent was worth more than 15 years' wages, while a denarius was the daily wage of a laborer. Drastic difference. And what Jesus is saying is, friends, never forget, you, each and every person in this room, has been forgiven Much. Much. Would you like to be judged on your worst day? No. I don't think any of us want to be judged on our worst day. 
And we've not been, because that's who Christ is. And so he says, so if that's the case, if I've let you off of your worst day, and you're holding on to something over someone else, we're going to have to talk about that. And it's not going to end well for you. So Jesus' point is this, that those who pray for God's forgiveness must themselves forgive. There's not a choice in this, friends. You know why? Because there's no hate in heaven. You understand this, right? We all want to go to heaven where what God wants done is done. There's no hate in heaven. So you know what that means? You can't bring it with you. So if there's no hate in heaven and you're holding on to your hate, you're stopped at the door. I mean, you've got to understand this. God's not mad at you. You just can't bring that with you. And so Jesus says it's better to go ahead and get off that today, right now. It's a lot easier to do it today while you still have a body, you still have a mouth, you still have the ability to say, forgive me, and I forgive you. Because you can't bring hate to heaven because it doesn't exist there. You just can't bring it in. It's not possible. God's not mad at you. It's just the way it is. And then we look at Jesus' life and his entire life, friends. It poured out forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he says that this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We say it each and every week here. And Luke, it says it like this. Two others also who were criminals the next day when Jesus was on the cross, they were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. You know what Jesus said? Say it with me. Father, forgive them. Now, Jesus had done nothing wrong. Zero wrong. No sin. Perfect in every way. Yet it is Jesus' example to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it is absolutely true that in Jesus' day, if you could not pay your debt, you became a slave, as we saw in the story that he told. Or you were put in prison until someone else paid off your debt because you can't make money in prison. Now, Adam Hamilton in his book, he reminds us of this. He says, the act of paying off another person's debt was called, say it with me, redemption. That's what redemption means. That you pay someone else's debt that you don't know. And the person who did this was called what? Redeemer. Did you know that you today have the power of redemption in your hands? You have the ability to be a redeemer today. Jesus says elsewhere in the Bible, if you forgive the sins of others, they're forgiven. You're setting people free. You have the power to set people free. And the question is, will you do it? Will you be like God himself and do that? So our action step today is this. Who are the people you need to forgive today? Who are the people you need to forgive today? Because, friends, this is the day of redemption. Today, right now, our Redeemer lives, but he lives in you. And forgiveness of sins, that's up to you to do for others, to set people free today, to make right relationships that have been broken for a day or two or a week or years or a decade. You can do redemption now. It's in your power. My hunch is a lot of folks don't even know this. You you have that power. God who lives in you in Christ Jesus who is raised from the dead lives in you. And this is the day of redemption. Amen? It is. So we got work to do, to go forgive and be forgiven and to be free. So when we see Jesus face to face, when we close our eyes for the last time and we wake up and we see him face to face, there's nothing between us. 
but love and joy and forgiveness. This is my prayer for myself and for each and every one of you. That when we stand before the righteous judge Jesus, there's no forgiveness conversation to be had. They've already been at hand here where we laid them down. Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them. We too can say, Father, forgive them. You are released. You are redeemed. Your debt is paid. We're made new. Because at Jesus' heavenly banquet, everybody sits together. But there's no hate at the table. None. And that's good news. It's good news. So let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, remembering how he told us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.